Hello and welcome. My name is Tim. I am Dantimus. And I'm Herfy Durfy. And this is Gomo, a link to the past randomizer podcast. All right, guys. So let's all go around the table and let's each say something that we're thankful for. So I uh, will go first. Uh, I, Tim, am thankful for the time that we get to spend with one another every two weeks as we record this podcast. Is it my turn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. You're sitting to my left. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm thankful that SGL is over and I don't have to run a tournament anymore. I'm so excited. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Good one. All right. Uh, and I am thankful that this recording will be over soon. <laughs> be over soon. No, because you're hungry, right? Uh, you want to eat some of this delicious turkey in front uh, of us? Yeah, definitely. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. It's uh, on the one hand, there's a lot of things I'm thankful for. On the other hand, we don't have Thanksgiving in Germany. So, meh. oh, man. I, you know what? I didn't even think about that. My headed <laughs> American, uh, you know, self just was like Thanksgiving. <laughs> I have to, quanti- but, um, I have to quantify her, her statement, um, by, by saying or, or qualify it. I don't know what the word is. Uh, I'm not smart. I mean, we're probably, you got this what four or hour 45 into recording as we do this intro right now <laughs> hour 45 <laughs> yeah. no this is it's legit been over two hours though oh, yeah. we are so, getting a little punch punch that, crazy that is yeah. why yeah, uh, I'm, you I'm guys getting around yeah you guys get <laughs> you, you that guys um that. you guys get this at the beginning uh we're already like tilted and frazzled and and uh, not not <laughs> frazzled no it's it's been good it's just been it's been long if yeah. only you knew what almost happened to Dante's chair. Oh my God. You would understand. <laughs> Crisis averted, man. I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, a little bit of behind the scenes. That uh, might, that might be, if there's enough questions in the sub only and Patreon channel, I might, I might let people know in there. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. You know, I love that exclusive content. Nice. Okay. Good, 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 good. Well, this has been excellent so far. Let's keep it going. Uh, so you, uh, as, as you know, we have alluded to, we've been recording for a little while. You were about to hear the very first thing that we recorded today, uh, because the first thing that we're going to cover is, uh, as, as Dante has alluded to in his, um, area of thanks earlier, uh, SGL has come to a conclusion in 2021. So the ALT TPR tournament, of course, has ended and huge GGs to the winner of that, Matt 7898. And we actually had an opportunity to sit down with Matt and uh, talk to him about his experiences going through SGL. So uh, let's go ahead and take a listen to that right now. All right. And now we are here with the SGL 2021 ALTTPR champ, Matt 7898. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. How are you doing? Hey, Eric. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Really looking forward to this. Yeah, I've GGs, been, man. yeah, absolutely. GG's. I've been looking forward to this as well. Uh, big winner for the hopefully last online version of SGL. Um, the prize pool was quite significant this year. I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit. But first, before we start all this, Matt, uh, tell us a little bit about your history. How did you get into Link to the Past, Link to the Past Randomizer? You know, how, how did the competitive scene work out for you and so on and so forth? Uh, sure. So I think my story is uh, fairly similar to many of the guests you've had. Uh, I played the game uh, as a child. It was, uh, you know, my favorite video game for a long time growing up. And then, you know, 
flash forward 20 years later, the first exposure I had to Link to the Past speedrunning was in 2014, I stumbled upon a Zelna uh, Twitch stream. And I remember watching that and thinking to myself, like, don't ever do this because you will become completely <laughs> obsessed with it. Yeah. And so then... <laughs> I kind of put that thought aside and uh, three years later, I stumbled upon the uh, Key Sandy tournament in 2017. I believe that started around the fall of 2017 for uh, Link to the Past Randomizer. And then I thought, whoa, this is a, a really interesting way to play the game. And so I, I downloaded a couple of seeds and started just kind of playing by myself on my laptop. First SRL race uh, was on, I believe, January 1st, 2018. And then I really started to get into it after that uh, AGDQ race between uh, Andy and Christos that year, which would have happened like a week after uh, that first SRL race. And so the rest is kind of history. I started playing more and more, uh, got really into the the competitive scene, uh, having playing a lot of ladder uh, ever since that uh, was introduced a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, just been really enjoying my time with the game ever since. Nice. Have you dabbled in uh, the vanilla NMG stuff speedrunning at all? Or did you just, you know, say to yourself, all right, I can't start this or, or I'll completely obsess over it and then rando was kind of your entry drug i guess so i played rando for about a year before diving into the vanilla game speed run so like in late 2018 i believe it was when i first started doing uh nmg speed runs and so i have been uh doing the nmg speed runs kind of on the side as really just a way to get better at the game to become more competitive uh in rando But I've also competed in now, I think, three uh, vanilla speedrun tournaments for Link to the Past. I played in the AD RMG tournament. I played in the Germench NMG tournament. And I also played in uh, the latest NMG tournament that just happened, uh, just finished up this spring, I believe. So I've got a decent amount of experience with the vanilla game speedrun as well. And I also really enjoy that, although kind of rando has always been kind of first priority for my time playing the game. Awesome. Uh, would you, was this your first SGL that you took part in or were you around for the last one? I don't think you were at the first one in 2019, right? No. So I qualified for the 2019 one and I, I did intend to go, but I had a, a work commitment that came up and I actually really regret not going because I, I probably could have worked around it, but I just kind of said to myself, ah, whatever, I'll just go next year. And then mm. we kind of all know <laughs> what has happened over the past two years. Um, yeah. But in 2020, um, I did play in the event. Uh, so I made it through group or sorry, through qualifiers and I got eliminated in a tiebreaker uh, during the group stage. Now, our group was a little bit topsy-turvy. There was uh, like some really interesting seeds and um, like first perspective, like your esteemed co-host and main tournament <laughs> champion, Dante, finished last in our group uh, I did. in that year. Mm -hmm. So I, I lost in a very close tiebreaker race to Tiso, or sorry, Tiso, uh, who played really well. And, um, you know, that, that was that. Well, you definitely made up for it this year, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. I, I was storing all of my good luck for one tournament run. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked out. So now that we know a little bit how you got into it and how we ended up here at basically SGL 2021, 
Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience throughout the whole journey from, from start to finish, so to speak, you know, starting at the qualifiers, how you liked everything, how you thought the schedule worked out. Uh, even though Dante and I were both tournament admins and uh, we were both responsible for pretty much everything that was going on, uh, don't feel the need to hold back. We we can deal with, you know, oh, yeah. constructive criticism, let's call it. Oh, no, you could just give all the kind of bad criticism, too, if you have any. Uh, I mean, we're uh, we're big boys. We can take it. <laughs> all right. Well, um, I mean, having won the tournament, I don't really have a whole lot of bad things to say about the tournament, <laughs> as you may may not be a surprise. But um, going into qualifiers, I didn't have uh, the best qualification. I think I was seated number 30 coming out of it. Um, I had two very bad qualifiers uh, near the beginning, one where I, I left a nice rod behind and I had another one that was uh, a hover seed. And just that night, I just did not have the hover in me. And it took me 11 minutes to get across the, the Moldorm two gap. So after you have two bad qualifiers, you're really kind of forced to play pretty conservative because the, the downside of having a bad seed is much more risky than the upside of having a good one. But still getting to that kind of top 32 is is fine. It's where you want to be like there was no group stage. So the seating didn't matter too much um, going into brackets. Uh, I was really just kind of looking forward to having some some fun matchups, right? You can't come into this tournament uh, expecting to to win it, right? Like. I had a, a bit of confidence coming in. Like I was the uh, number one lifetime ladder rank player, I believe either at or near the start of brackets. And I had just gone on a, a nice nine game casual boots win streak on ladder, where if you look at the names, you could arrange those and that could be a run through the SGL winners bracket. But like mm. at the same time, I know I'm not the best rando player. There's definitely a, a group of players that are, you know, objectively better than me. And there's another larger group of players that are probably around the same skill set. And then, you know, it's rando, right? Um, mm -hmm. Really anything can happen. It doesn't matter how good you are. Uh, you have to be very lucky to win one of these tournaments. And a lot of things kind of need to go right for you. So coming to brackets, my thought process was just, I just want to, you know, play well, have some good matchups, have fun. And if, the the right circumstances present themselves and i play well you know some small percentage of the time i will win the tournament and luckily for me uh that is what happened hmm. i want to just interject real quick to take a moment and uh comment on matt's uh latter career because as of right now uh, at the time of this recording matt is ranked number four global lifetime for ladder with uh, 2110 points so when he says he was the highest ranked global at ladder in the tournament that could be true for most tournaments when you're ranked number four so uh quite an accomplishment yeah thanks uh i appreciate that Looking at your way through the brackets again, uh, I just, you know, opened up this mass GG bracket that I've spent a lot of time with in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, more time than I ever want to spend on Smash again, really. <laughs> but uh, you not only had a great run all the way through the winner's bracket, I don't think you lost a single game. Yeah, no, that, that's right. All the way through, uh, which is obviously amazing. But as you say, you know, Rando's Rando, you can't guarantee that even if you're the best player in the world. But... Especially in the top 32, I feel like, I mean, not that your first matchups were easy, but especially in the top 32, you faced some real hard hitters. 
and uh, managed to get through all of them. No, no problemo, I'd say. Yeah, I had a, I had a pretty tough road going through the brackets. Like we were all kind of placed in, you know, little groups of eight where the winner would get into the, the winner's portion of the, of the top 32. And like I had uh, Ari in, in my group. So that was obviously mm-hmm. very intimidating. Uh, I luckily I, I did not have to play Ari, uh, which is probably part of the reason why I'm here right now, but I did have to play. Like I, I had Hayfield Bay in there who was a semifinalist uh, last year. And then I had to play T stew and both of those races kind of came down to coin flip decisions where I just made the right call in either of those races. And then you're right, going into the like the winners top 16, uh, I had some really tough matchups. Like I had a really tough matchup against the lane, who is obviously a great player. Then I played Skipsy, who's a very good kind of up and coming. Uh, I believe he's a, a German uh, runner. And then I had to go into matchups against uh, Willard J. Bradley, who has been around forever. Same with Ak, Ak the Boker. And then I had to play, you know, Wayne in the finals, which is is obviously an extremely, extremely challenging matchup when uh when you met up with Boyne in finals uh did did you ever think about well i've got a one game lead technically uh like i can i can i'm a, i can afford to make you know one mistake uh if i if i had to um you know did did the i guess coming out of winners did that give you any extra confidence going into finals against Boyne? because i know that you know, everybody was like, you know, Boyne's making the tear through the loser's bracket, which he did a phenomenal job of. I just didn't know um, how how that weighed on you. I've been kind of getting that from, uh, you know, the post-race interview where you mentioned that, you know, you faced Boyne in a previous tournament. And, you know, uh, basically, I think uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but kind of just completely wrecked you. And you were looking forward to potentially getting a rematch with the way this went. Yeah. So going into finals, I figured I had an edge, right? I I think I was going to win the tournament more often than not because of that uh, one game advantage. Like I know Wayne is a better player than me, but like he has to beat me like over 70% of the time to be a favorite in the finals. And I didn't, I didn't quite think that was the case, but then I just, I took one look at that mustache and uh, I got, you know, pretty intimidated. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, if I'm older than Wayne, but it still felt like, like my dad was taking me out to the yeah. driveway to show me he can still beat me in one-on-one, you know? So that, that was uh, energy. Yeah. The, the cop mustache is really intimidating. I can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. And and then during the the finals race, um, like I I had a, it was a bit tough for me to know where I was at through most of the race. Like I full cleared a green pendant swamp that ended up being completely unrequired. And then, uh, but it wasn't until after going to pod and Eastern. And then I only had, I believe, potentially as few as five locations left in the game, right? Which were three, which were the grouping of pyramid graveyard ledge and catfish. And so after going to pyramid, I went to graveyard ledge and I found the quake medallion, which opened up misery mire. And so again, I'm at the situation where I have potentially as few as five locations left. And I almost left, right? I almost went, you you, you can see me menu uh, during the race to go to misery mire. But then I thought to myself, like, I only have five locations left. Uh, two of them are powder and graveyard ledge. And those did not feel like clean outs for me. It felt like if the item was there, that might not be a good thing. So I was like, catfish is really maybe one of three chances I have to win. 
And when the catfish uh, spat out that fire rod, I mean, you, you saw the look on my face. Yeah. I know because <laughs> Dante has so kindly made it into a, a Discord emote that I see all the time now. Like at that point, I knew that my route was very good because sure. having fire rod go mode in that seed locked out a lot of the game that I knew at that point had nothing in it. And that was kind of the first point in time that I was like, wow, if, if I don't make any mistakes, I might win this thing. Yeah, that was hilarious because Wayne had been there. So we knew that the fire rod was there. So it was just everyone being like, please go to catfish. Come on. And like you said, you you hesitated for a moment. Then you went and everyone was just waiting and staring at your face cam to see what was going to happen. And you did not disappoint. It was hilarious. Yeah, watching it back, seeing the chat, it really cracks me up because there's so many people I know saying like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then like, oh, oh, man, he's actually going to do it. Yeah. So speaking of your face cam after the match, once you had won, uh, obviously you were um, quite quite elated after you had dot done uh, before Wayne. There was a point where you disappeared off camera and then you you came back in with uh, um, something in your hand. Do you want to tell us what happened? And, I, and then after, I would love to know kind of the story behind it. Yeah. So I'll start quickly with a little bit of the backstory. So uh, like the whole point of this this uh, event, right, is what Synex said, is we're trying to emulate a live event. And mm-hmm. so uh, during my race with Thelane, um, and like I know Thelane a little bit, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, if we were actually at SGL um, after this race, I'm sure we would, uh, we would share an adult beverage together. So once the race finished, I was I thought to myself, oh, I'll, I'll have a I'll have a beer afterwards on stream. But then I was like, man, these credits, they're uh, they're pretty short. I got to think of a way to uh, consume this beer as fast as possible. So uh, I uh, took myself back to the college days and uh, jammed a hole in it and started shotgunning beers uh, after every one of my wins from then on. out. Amazing. It was pretty good. Big uh, like Steve, Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin kind of move, you know, at a live event. Incredible. Um, There was something that uh, I wanted to bring up that uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Um, looking back, you know, as one of the admins and going through, you know, you you did face uh, a little bit of hardship uh, that I'm not sure everyone really knew you went through. Uh, Maybe not even yourself at this given moment that I'm bringing this up, Mm -hmm. but um, we did have to remove you from a qualifier because your power went out. And while that happened, you experienced a great loss of the barbacoa that was in your slow cooker. Um, and uh, you were more upset about that than the race. And I just wanted to know that now that you've won, do you feel like you could uh, recover and maybe uh, enjoy some barbacoa again? Good so, question, Dante. So uh, that was a very sad moment in my life. You know, uh, I had uh, registered for that qualifier. Luckily I was able to message you guys for you to pull me out of the qualifier. Yeah. Uh, but, but sadly it took uh, a little bit too long for my, for my power to come back. So I had to, uh, you know, go out to the grocery store and, uh, and get some new barbacoa and also delayed my dinner by about two to three hours, which was, uh, oh, it was very inconvenient. You know, I, I love me some, uh, some Sunday tacos. So, uh, yeah, these hardships are what you have to go through to yeah. uh, to make it through these tournaments. Sometimes that's that's all it takes. I, I think that that honestly probably is what sparked the fire uh, to to help you make that run. But uh, you know, I, I like to find little things like that that do it. Um, but I'm glad I'm glad you were able to still enjoy the barbacoa. Like that's that I think that's what's really important. Exactly it has a happy ending. 
Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It certainly does, I would say. Um, All right. So before we wrap this up and give you your little soapbox uh, to to plug yourself and give any shout outs that you might have, um, let's talk about next year's SGL, which will, by all accounts and fingers crossed, be a a real life event again in person. Uh, I hope you plan on attending. So I'm going to do my best to be there. Uh, There are some uh, circumstances in my personal life that are going to make me uh, a lot busier in the coming about six months or so. Um, So I will see what I can do. I will do everything in my power to get there. But as of right now, uh, I cannot be sure whether or not I will be able to go. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we can't really fault you for that, right? Real life and personal life comes first all the time. So that's totally and perfectly understandable. Yeah, we can, but, we uh, can always hope. Uh, yeah, exactly. I would, I would say we all certainly hope to see you there Yeah. in person. Absolutely. Yeah. And I hope to be there as well. It'd be nice to meet everybody. Yeah. So uh, as Herf mentioned, this is sort of uh, your opportunity kind of at the end here. We wanted to give you a chance if you wanted to address anyone, you know, particular in the community or the community at large uh, or, you know, kind of plug your Twitch or social media or anything like that. This is kind of your opportunity to address the community. Uh, Well, first of all, I would just like to really thank all of the people that uh, made SGL happen and all of these uh, incredible events happen, like people like Dante and Herfie. Uh, and Synac, who admin, uh, you know, they're kind of herding cattle at some point. Getting that uh, bracket done on time was no small accomplishment. So uh, real shout out to all of those guys for, you know, keeping us on track and really making the event run uh, so smoothly. Like, thanks to Speed Gaming for, for hosting it. Thank you so much to all of the people who helped out, all the commentators, trackers, and, and shout outs to all the runners. We have such a, a great community here. Um, and the reason for that is kind of all the great people that we have. So just, you know, thanks to everybody. And uh, in terms of, of me, you can follow me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Matt7898. Um, I'm not really uh, much of a streamer, um, but if you wanna, you know, stop by and say hello, um, that's where I'll be. Excellent. All right, Herf, take us out of here. I'm taking us out of here. Okay. Wh- which way are we going this time? I can never remember. Um, I I guess we're we're gonna be back into news land. Yeah. So do we mirror back there? Uh, we'll we'll play. We'll get um, Temp to play the flute in reverse. So that's that's happening ooh, right here. Ooh. Okay. Whoa. Okay. All right. Here goes. All right. So that was Matt 7898. Uh, We're back to the two plus hour versions of ourselves recording this. That was the fresh, you know, bright eyed version. Actually tell the difference. Oh, yeah. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I I would assume so, but I think it's kind of funny, especially with the way we're editing this together, or rather, you're editing editing this together. It's probably going to be a, a big mishmash of energy, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, you know, because we have to we, we set times to record and then we have our guests and we want to make sure that those are accurate. And then for the three of us, it's just like whenever we're done. All right, let's jump in and, and do the rest. So that's mm-hmm. where we're at right now um, to back up a little bit and talk more about the SGL um, ALTCPR tournament. Um, of course, as Matt mentioned, um, he took down Buane to win that tournament. So we had uh, Buane as our silver medalist. Um, and as far as the rest of the brackets, 
Uh, do you guys want to talk a little bit about some of our uh, finalists that were participating? Sure. I mean, uh, we had Act the Boker who got pretty far. He lost to Matt before uh, Matt beat Wayne in the winners' finals, sending Act down to the losers' bracket right at the very end. There um, had to, you know, maybe defeat Wayne. He obviously didn't manage to. Uh, one person who I also shouted out on the SGL Discord is Kyong. Kyong got knocked out in the very, or got knocked down to loser's bracket in the very first match he played in the top 128, and then managed to get to the loser's quarterfinals oh, wow. against Big Dunka in the top 32. So he, I think, played like nine or ten games in the loser's bracket alone, had a crazy yeah. run through that. Uh, I was, you know, I, I'm fine with any of the top, I don't know, 16 or something. I don't want to exclude anyone, but I, w- I was really rooting for Kyung just because he had such a crazy run through the loser's bracket all the way, almost to the end. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. You can see the loser's bracket and how he's just working his way through it. Like you said, like, you know, almost 10 games or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was an entertaining tournament all the way through. And I have to give a huge uh, congratulations to the two of you for for running it as well as you did. I mean, I know I was privy to some of the hiccups and things like that, and I think they were pretty minor overall. I've only heard, you know, really positive things about this tournament. And, you know, as with any STL, it's fun because you get the face, you know, the face cams and all that. So it was it was just a good time. I, I definitely enjoyed being a spectator. Yeah, I mean, as Dante was alluding to earlier, we're both extremely happy to be done with it. It was a lot of fun. It was also a lot of stress. I've lived on uh, a Google results sheet, uh, uh, the SG schedule and the two smash.gg brackets. They've been living in my browser for like four weeks nonstop. I didn't even close the browser. <laughs> and, uh, you know, reporting results, pinging people every day that their next matchup is ready. It was very stressful and kind of crazy. There was some drama here and there, but for the most part, everything went without a hitch. We had uh, a lot of doubters or maybe calling them doubters is a little mean. We had a lot of people concerned that there was yeah. no way we're going to make it through with the number of matches that need to be played, especially in the losers bracket. And personally, you know, I don't hold it against anyone who talked to us and was like, hey, listen, I'm a little worried about this or whatever. But I personally feel very vindicated that we managed to, you know, keep the timeline, make it all the way through with minimal drama. Unfortunately, not completely without drama, but when is it ever? Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we we did a great job, really. I'm going to I'm going to pat ourselves on the shoulders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like honestly, I'm patting you as well. Everybody who doubted i think uh the uh the viability of the best of one double elim did offer suggestions on how we can stay on top of it and we took a few of those not all of them Mm -hmm. but and i'm you know sorry you guys got pinged every five seconds but you could lose and never get pinged again um but (laughs) otherwise uh if you want to win some money and play more rando then you were going to get pinged and say hey schedule right now um you know, a couple of hiccups in the scheduling happened, but you know, when you're dealing with what was it? 128 people across the Mm -hmm. globe in a three week period or four week, I think total. Um, that was after qualifiers. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was, it was pretty stressful. Um, I, I have apologized to my, my fellow league admins as I have been 
uh, mostly just swamped over there and uh, you know uh, trying to balance time between the two and has been kind of an undertaking in and of itself i have not had a lot of time to play casual you know rando seeds or ladder races i've been if i've had time to play games it's mainly been like dance games or something just to exercise or whatever but i'm really excited we got the tournament done like this i think it was a really good format so that way if someone lost early they weren't completely punished i know you know it's not the i guess most ideal format uh you know for some folks but at the same time I think overall it was a great success. And uh, if you hated best of one, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To to kind of, you know, as sort of final words, uh, obviously for a lot of people, the optimal thing that they could have would be like a best of three double elimination or something. But imagine the number of games you'd have to play in three or four weeks. It, It would be amazing and definitely the most competitively viable choice, especially for something like Rando where, you know, not the only the only factor isn't just skill at the game. You also need to have a certain a certain per- portion of luck, I guess. So yeah. you know, with, with that, it would be super competitively viable, but it just would break any sort of time limitations that you have. If we if we had unlimited time, we could maybe pull it off. But other than that, I think we did a pretty you know decent choice with what we had i was very happy with it i think a lot of the people were also as happy with it as they could be and uh to to finally finish my babbling i want to give a last huge shout out to cynic who thought up the mode that was played and i think oh yeah all the way throughout you know every player that you talk to at least from my experience, everyone was super happy with the mode. Everyone yeah. was like, the mode was awesome. It was like, you know, the right mix between challenging for more experienced players, but not so hard that it was totally impossible for people to play it. And, you know, the changes that were made, they were very welcome, apparently. And people really, really, really love the mode. And big shout out to Cynic for that one. Yeah, the only hater yeah. of the mode was Temp. And yeah, I was going to say, I know I was a doubter at the beginning, but I think allowing the blue mail is a huge yes. benefit. That's really like the the main pain point from a normal like hard seed uh, and Synax mode allowing you to find the blue mail somewhere is it makes it much, much more palatable in my mind. So even though I was an, an initial naysayer, I, I did come around eventually. And to be fair, I didn't play a lot of it except for the, you know, like qualifiers. But yeah, yeah I also I, I want to soapbox one more thing if I if I can um, <laughs> regarding all this uh, and you know make the episode longer for Temp and Herf. Um, you know, throughout all of this, we had, you know, three weeks of matches where, you know, SG would restream what they could. And, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't get a restream. And, you know, obviously, if that's something you were hoping for, I, I'm sorry we were not able to accommodate that, uh, you know, for everybody. Um, I do want to give shout outs to everybody who volunteered to do, you know, commentary or tracking for that. Um, we, we were, we were not, uh, in, uh, we were not in abundance of volunteers. Uh, we did have several people who did a few and then we had clear mouse who did (laughs) something like just in the brackets, like 30 matches, which was insane. Um, wow. Obviously, you know, she does know the game very well, and uh, I, I wanted to give her a shout out just for volunteering so much because I, I think she she just put in more work than 
you know, most of the other ones. And, and a lot of the reason that happened, you know, um, was because Rick told us pretty early on and told people in the channel, like, Hey, if I'm not going to try and restream a match early on, unless I see a crew for it. So, you know, I know clear mouse took it upon herself to find a cocom and see if she could find a tracker. So we wouldn't have to ping people. And then all like people would sign up and then it was like, Hey, we got, okay, we can, you know, Rick would put it on the schedule and that that's kind of how it all came to be, I guess is a way of putting it. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, shoot huge shout outs to her for doing that. Absolutely insane. I can't imagine talking about rando that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Big same. Um, well, yeah. Uh, congratulations again, both of you for another successful tournament. And I don't know about you, but I am super looking forward to 2022. Hopefully the first time in person since 2019, where we all had just such a good time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really hoping it's going to happen. And I, I can't wait, really. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, moving along, uh, we don't have too much to talk about today, but I did want to briefly check in uh, to ALTTPR League. So brackets are underway. Uh, The regular season is over. Um, Myself and my teammates, Rusta and Tyler Salt, the long shots, we had our annual or not annual since the seasons don't work out that way. But um, at the end of every season, we always do like an end of year multi-world kind of as like our, you know, uh, pizza party celebration. Uh, you know, time. just to say, hey, <laughs> GG's, we had fun, you know, so we did that the other day to kind of officially mark the end of season four for us. Uh, for the Invitational League, I don't even think any bracket matches have been played yet. It doesn't look like, according to their website, uh, at least on the day that we're recording this, um, did they take a break because of SGL? Was yeah, that kind so, of what was going on there? Or? Yeah, the way we did it, uh, we built our schedule around SGL so that way we could have a break. Um, for that like a one week break and then we're getting the invitational league gets a second week break uh and this is uh it was mainly done so we can uh ensure that hopefully the invitational league is what concludes last uh and and that may sound a little presumptuous but that was kind of you know the idea is to kind of feature that with sg initially obviously we're going to try to get as much sg content like for speed gaming and whoever else um with playoffs in general for open and invitational but this way hopefully uh invitational league brings in the conclusion of the entire league which um is gonna be like what two more months (laughs) (laughs) so yeah of of uh bracket matches yeah Yeah. well no that makes sense that's a good way that's a good way to handle that um one other thing that we did want to mention is we did have uh, we do, you know, at the end of every season, have four invitational teams that are relegated, essentially kind of the bottom performer from each division. Right, Dante? Uh, yes. So basically each division, yeah. the, pers- the person, the uh, person teams that finish in last place uh, are unfortunately relegated to the open league so they can fight for a chance to come back to invitational if they so choose. Um, those four teams, uh, this time, and I'm going to defer to Herf, uh, for one of them. Uh, but Fromp's time who dropped out after week two, uh, will be relegated the immortals and the, our less French Canadians. And finally Herf. Oops. That was auch nicht. Uh, which, uh, <laughs> Why did you read it like that? <laughs> I don't know because I wanted to make it weird because I never no, speak good. German on this. <laughs> I'm assuming. No, I, it was good. And I think, I think that name is like, oops, it was somewhere else or something like that. It yeah, wasn't where it was supposed like, to be here either. 
Yeah, it's uh oops, that's not where it was. Oh, okay. Uh, that's yeah. also not where it was to be exact. It's a it's a really good <laughs> it's a great team name and I always It is a great team I name. I just always forget it and I don't know how to pronounce it. So thank you, Herf. But yeah, those four teams will be relegated. We're still waiting to see who from the open league is going to get promoted. We gotta wait and whittle down those playoffs down to just four teams, which is semifinals. Once it gets there, those are gonna be our four promotions. So looking forward to seeing how those go. Um, but yeah, everything, everything's been going smooth so far. I expect a few hiccups in playoffs. We'll see how things go uh, from the administrative side, but, uh, but yeah, should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, all right. And, um, not really too much to actually say, but I just feel like we have to commemorate this in some way. Uh, today, the day that we're recording this, which is November 21st is the 30th anniversary of the release uh, in Japan of The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. So that feels pretty significant. You know, 30 years ago today, this game was released and, you know, we're still playing it just as much as ever today. So that's pretty incredible. Uh, there was one sort of uh, community event to commemorate this. There was a, a large um, NMG run a race, I guess, kind of uh, that that happened earlier today. So you could probably find VODs of that if you looked around a little bit. Was that on speed gaming? Do you guys know? I'm not even uh, sure. ZSR, ZSR covered okay. some of it and they that tried to, sense. from what I understand, they tried to shuffle through a bunch of runners. Uh, oh, cool. So, um, you know, I, I, well, I, I saw in one discord, someone said at one point there was like this endless slog of Helma fights just because like they were shuffling to people who had just got to Helma. So it was like Helma over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty good. Nice. So, yeah, just wanted to shout that out. Uh, happy birthday to ALTTP and thanks for for all the good times. All right. GMP community updates. So a huge shout out to both Malmo and Crithel, and thank you uh, for putting on the No Logic exhibition. Um, I did have a chance to check out some of that, and we will have a link in the description. Uh, and you can also follow in the description. We'll have a link for more information on the Glitch League that was announced at the end of that exhibition. So if you have any interest in being in an ALTTPR league um, where it's you and two other people, uh, or it might even be just one other person. I'm not actually sure how that works. Uh, but a team of players uh, that play glitched modes in ALTTPR, then follow those links and uh, learn more about it. All right, so the bi-weekly seed, the last one we did was a Super Metroid Zelda 3 seed. I did check into this one. I played it for probably about like 20 or 30 minutes yesterday, just kind of casually. Um, the default controls for the Super Metroid seemed weird. I think I maybe need to try to like change those somewhere, but like shoot was Y or something. It, just, it felt very weird to me. It's X. Yeah. Uh, and jump was, yeah. Why, why shoot X? That seems very weird to me. <clears throat> no, it's not, That's not so how bad. it normally is. No, is it, it is. Mm -hmm. huh. Shoot is X. Can, Cancel uh, your menu item is Y a is jump and mm -hmm. B is run. Yep. That's yeah, that just feels so weird. That's not how I remember playing it when I played it on Super Nintendo. So maybe I changed the control somehow. Maybe I just you can totally change the controls in the options menu for Super Metroid. Yeah, but uh, one of the few games I think on the Super Nintendo that actually will let you remap keys. Huh. And uh, I highly recommend people uh, switch out at least the weapon cancel button and the weapon select button because you have to press select to cycle through your weapons and cancel it with Y and just selecting them with Y and canceling with select is a lot better. That makes sense. 
Yeah, I don't know why that threw me off, but like I was doing terrible in everything Super Metroid because that just didn't feel natural to me. But I would like to go back and try to play a little bit more of it. I don't know if I'll be able to finish it, but it is it's a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the seed for this one uh, for episode 87, the biweekly seed, I don't think it really matters too much, but I do just want to make the one request since we are going to be talking about MSU packs. Um that you try to make an effort to use one. Uh, and if you often use them, uh, maybe you try to use a new one, uh, specifically, you know, the one that we're going to promote, I think would be a wonderful option. If not that, then, you know, follow the sheet and there's a lot of options that you can download there. Um, if you've never used one before, I think this would be a really good time to try to figure them out, uh, and get one going. Um, do you guys have any suggestions for or requests for the type of seed? I think, I mean, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead. Herf. Nope, you go. I was just I was just gonna say I think a normal open seven seven should be fine in theory, but if you have anything fancier, I'm all ears. I was gonna say we should pour one out one more time for the SGL casual boots mode and Oh, I'm down with that. And allow that to be the pack. Or not the pack, but the seed. The seed you use a pack okay. with. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I like that. Yeah, we'll do the SGL settings one more time. Um, that'll be the biweekly seed for episode 87 and try to get an, uh, an MSU pack in there. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's uh, get into our feature uh, slash interview um, with Danny Music. Here we go. We are very excited today to be joined by a, uh, I guess you could call a subject matter expert in the field of MSUs, uh, also an ALTTPR community member and a musician. Uh, We are proud to welcome today to the show, Danny Music. Welcome, Danny Music. Hello. Thank you for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Pleased to have you here. So uh, we want to hear a little bit about your background. I'm uh, particularly excited to hear about your musical background. But before we do in kind of normal go mode tradition, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with a link to the past randomizer. All right. Um, So I've always been a fan of the Legend of Zelda series. My very first game was actually Link's Awakening. I don't remember exactly how I discovered A Link to the Past Randomizer the first time, but I remember in around 2019, I was working an office job and all of a sudden uh, saw a link to a tournament that was on speed gaming, I believe. Uh, I have a lot to thank for the commentators for helping me like learn what the game is and how it's played and what sorts of decisions that people have to make. And I was really drawn to it right away because A Link to the Past Randomizer kind of turns the broader game of A Link to the Past into this puzzle that you have to figure out and solve as efficiently as possible. So I thought that was super cool. And I've been playing on and off since 2019. Uh, And then on the music side. uh, Let's see. I first got into writing music through Mario Mario Paint Composer, of all things. Oh, wow. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like 16 and uh, YouTube was barely nascent. And I saw people covering music from video games on using Mario Paint. And I'm like, wow, that looks really fun. I want to try that. So, uh I got started writing music through Mario Paint Composer, and then I majored in music as well as a couple other things in college. 
realized that that is what I wanted to do. So now I have a master's and half of a doctorate in music. I play trombone and I do a lot of trombone recordings, but the main thing that I do is writing and arranging music. I've done a lot with the video game remix scene in particular. And uh, I take recording and writing commissions. Wow. Incredible. Um, so what when it comes to arranging is a lot of that, you know, working on video game music or do you kind of have like a separate video game music life versus like another sort of outlet? Uh, I keep my video game music life mostly separate. Uh, it's it's all it's branded under my real name. Everything that I do is branded under uh, Daniel Romberger. But um, when it comes to video game music arranging, what I like in particular is a lot of video games, particularly older soundtracks, have you have three channels plus a noise channel. And that's enough that you have like the skeleton of a complete piece. And there's a lot of room to flesh out a simple texture into a very large, robust arrangement. So those are the kinds of projects that I'm interested in. Um, but I do other recording and commission work for other things. Like very recently, I actually arranged music for a wedding to be played on Brass Quintet. And it was an arrangement of the merry-go-round of life theme from Howl's Moving Castle. And mm. that was... That was a very fun project to work on. I just like finished it and then watched the movie myself after I was done. <laughs> <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> awesome. Um, so Danny music, uh, there was another very specific reason that we wanted to invite you onto the show. And that was so that you could announce a new project that actually, as you're listening to this episode, will have uh, launched a few days ago, but we will absolutely include some links to. So um, we are going to give you some time to talk about that. Uh, and uh, we're very excited to hear more about that. But we also thought this would be a great opportunity since, you know, it's good timing for you to be on to talk about that, to also talk about a topic that uh, we've received a lot of requests quests about to cover on this show. Uh, and that is MSUs. Uh, uh, and, and so we have kind of four parts to this show, and I'm just going to kind of outline those briefly. Um, and keep in mind, of course, we do have time codes in the uh, episode description. So if any one of these topics kind of jumps out to you as interesting or say you're only interested in like figuring out how to get MSUs to work or you just want to learn more about, uh, you know, this new project that Danny Music is on here to talk about, you can go to the description and, and jump to the part that that interests you. But uh, here's here's what we're going to be talking about today. So the first thing we want to do is define MSUs and, you know, talk about what they are, why people use them, and a little bit of a history of kind of how they came to be where they are uh, today. Um, we're going to talk about how to create an MSU pack, which is something uh, that Danny has some direct experience in, uh, and also Danty, so that'll be very helpful to hear. Uh, and then we're going to tell you about where you can go to find uh, various ALTTPR MSU packs and also how to install them, make them work. Uh, and then uh, we'll get to the project that, that, that we want to talk to Danny about. Um, so that's our plan. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. So uh, I'll pass it over to Danny and help us understand what, when we say MSU, what is meant by that? Uh, sure. So an MSU is an audio enhancement chip. It was created by the uh, same creator of the Hygen emulator, who BYUU is the name. 
And what the MSU chip does is it allows ROMs of the game to play up to four gigabytes of memory in a Super Nintendo cartridge. So with that, you can play CD quality audio and have that be the default soundtrack for um, a Super Nintendo game. It is not just Hmm. a link to the past that uses MSUs. There are other ones as well. Uh, One particular that I find really uh, cool is there's a Chrono Trigger MSU patch, which embeds the cutscenes from the animated version of Chrono Trigger Mm. into the game itself. So when you get to that part in the game, then you will see a cutscene of the animated animation for Chrono Trigger playing. Uh, And that's all done with MSU and that's all done with the extra memory that that allows. Hmm. So I know one thing that's specific to ALTTPR, especially in racing, is that we want to keep the ROM files a certain size. But the way the MSU works is it kind of works around that because with this, you know, FX graphic chip esque sort of, uh, you know, change to the ROM, it allows it to go outwards of that normal ROM size to read only the music without disrupting anything else about the ROM. Is that kind of what what's going on there? Yep, that's basically what's going on. It's kind of the Super Nintendo ROM equivalent of what the Sega CD does. Mm. So I know this is probably a pretty obvious question and maybe even a stupid one, but I feel it should be asked anyway. This is purely an, uh, let's call it an aftermarket thing. So this wasn't a chip that was on the original SNES and there weren't any original games that used this in any way. This was a feature and uh, developed by the Hygen guy, as you said, Bue, mm-hmm. and it's used purely in emulation or now uh, stuff like, I don't know, a Super NT or like an FX pack or something like that, right? Yep, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's a good question. I think that's a good point to make because it's like, why, it, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, okay, well, why aren't there any Super Nintendo games that did have, you know, a PlayStation 1-esque type soundtrack where you could, you know, like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, take like real songs and have them play. Um, and that is the answer. This didn't, this wasn't around or capable or available when we had that technology, but they did eventually figure it out in the next generation. Um, you know, so that's why we have things like that now. But uh, in hindsight, we're able to go back and enable this sort of thing so that now we can enjoy, you know, full soundtracks with some of these 16 bit games in a way that's more organic than just, say, like muting the volume and playing something over it. And that's another one of the things that's really great about an MSU pack is because it actually is read by the game and the soundtrack matches with, you know, kind of what's happening on screen. You can get things to loop so that it sounds natural. Um, but yeah, the, that that's kind of in a nutshell what the MSU pack is, it, is it lets you kind of export in a new soundtrack uh, of a much higher quality than you're used to hearing, you know, the, the original uh, original soundtrack from a link to the past that came out in 91. Um, any other kind of, uh, sort of general thoughts on MSU before we get into like the process of, of like how one is made? Uh, nope. I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, I was going to say it's an interesting comparison to the PlayStation one. I'm thinking of like final fantasies seven through nine in particular, where you have multiple Mm. CDs And it gets to a certain point in the story where you have to take out one CD and put another CD in. 
And those combine to make it a very big experience, but it is ultimately an interruption in the gameplay. Uh, it's often interesting with FF9 in particular how the necessity of doing that actually impacts how the story itself was created. But with the MSU experience for Super Nintendo games as we have it now, you don't really have those interruptions anymore and you can still play with high quality audio and get the full experience just uh, as is. And I think that's very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of that extremely cool. A lot of that had to do with, you know, we were talking about the chips and stuff like just the limitations, uh, you know, cart sizes really aren't big. Uh, neither are, you know, ROM files, is, as, as we've seen, uh, super tiny. So this this basically allows you to add like, I don't know, it, it, I guess like a really dumb way of putting it. It's like attaching an external hard drive, you know, or in this case, like a SD card to your Super Nintendo, like via FX pack. And then, uh, you know, that's where you store all your music, because, I mean, if you had a full, what is it? The non expanded version of Link to the Past is 31, I think, sound files. And, um, you know, and like if you had 31 MP3s. Uh, there's no way, uh, even if they're short, that's going to really <laughs> sound good and be stored yeah. on a cartridge all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, yep. hey, you have to have an actual game with that, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, right. <laughs> I guess we need to allocate some of the memory for <laughs> you know, graphics and, you know, AI you know, enemies and things like that. Um, OK, so now we have the idea of of the ability to be able to replace the soundtrack of. And, you know, we'll we'll uh, lessen the scope a little bit or uh, narrow it a bit more and get back to just saying a link to the past randomizer. Um, you know, as Danny has pointed out, this kind of technology is available for all kinds of different ROMs. Um, but of course, it, on, on our show, we're mostly concerned with uh, ALTTPR. So knowing that there's a way you can replace the soundtrack, um, I'm interested to know how that is made. So, um, Danny, do you want to take us? through the process of how one goes about creating a, a new MSU pack for someone to use? Sure. So the very first thing that you do is plan a pack that you want to create. Um, there is a directory that you can see, um, and that will be linked in yep. the podcast. Uh, what do you call Indeed. it? Podcast the description. description? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, you can see what's all, you can see what's already been created, but uh, the very first thing that you do is you choose a game, choose a concept for a pack that you want to create. And then once you know what game you want to cover, then you can go about choosing what tracks you want to replace what particular areas. So the way I personally do this is I have a Excel document that has all of the tracks on the OST in each line. and. From there, I cross-reference that with all the tracks from the game or the series that I'm covering, and I just kind of play matchmaker for a bit. I uh, move, move things, move things around, and try to pick out a mapping that works and makes sense to me. How you decide to map which tracks go to which areas is a very creative experience and also like a very subjective experience. There's no one mm -hmm. right way of doing it. Um, so uh, I'm curious with you, Dante, how what kind of criteria you go to. Uh, so to decide like what track should be where. Yeah. Right? yeah. The ones I've done have been 
uh, I guess like just games that I've enjoyed, like packs I've done, you know, the first one, I had a lot of help from Moogle charm with doom eternal. Um, I did final fantasy 10, the HD, uh, soundtrack. I I did that one Mm. to start with instead of the PS2 one. And, um, and then I did Mega Man X four through six. So with those, it was kind of, you know, does the theme, if, if the song has a vibe that kind of feels like it's, um, you know, a certain setting, uh, you know, whether it be like with Mega Man X and final fantasy, you know, does this feel like I'm in like a forest? Does it feel like I'm in a jungle? Um, you know, with links of the past, you're in dungeons and they all kind of look the same, but they have different color schemes. So I would make, I would basically just kind of set it up to make a loop point on it and then say, this is going to be a dungeon. Where can I put it? And then, uh, I would, you know, kind of screw around and figure out, do do I like it here? You know, yes, no, maybe what about here? This might be better. Um, and you know, it's like you were saying, Danny, it's very subjective because, uh, there's a couple people with my final fantasy 10 one that are just like, why is the blitz ball music? with Argus, uh, like the fight for Argus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I don't know, I couldn't think of a better way with, you know, he's got all those balls on him. I just felt like it was a good time around the water <laughs> and stuff, but, uh, I can understand why somebody would not want that too. Um, but it was like, and this you is know, probably how like different versions of the same soundtrack get made, right? Yeah. Cause people have very specific preferences. That's, yeah. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's it. And some people who go to great lengths with certain like soundtracks, they'll say, you know, included is like an alts folder. And then, you know, they're tagged as to what they are. This was like way before the time of, you know, the expansion, uh, you know, capability when you just had the original 31 tracks and then you could just decide, you know, let me move this track here. I'll move this one here. And then technically you didn't make your own custom MSU, but you kind of reshuffle things to make it feel more you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where, it's really hard to say, like you were saying, there's no right or wrong. Uh, well, there's, there's clearly a wrong. Uh, and, and the wrong is like when I tried to have a buddy make me a shuffler to like shuffle them on my SD card. And then (laughs) apparently there's a, I've said this before, I think on the podcast, but there's like the, the mirror menu music or like the, the looping point. It's like what, three seconds. (laughs) And then I walked into a cave and it was just the mirror sound looping over and over. And I was like, this is awful. Uh, never doing that again, (laughs) but, (laughs) but yeah, like there's, that's like the only wrong you could really do with something like this, I think. Yeah. Um, Danny, do you have, uh, any specific kind of philosophies or, um, kind of points that you kind of try to keep in mind when you do this uh, lining up process? Yeah. So the ones that I did, uh, prior to this special project are Danganronpa 2, Danganronpa V3, and Omori. And with the Omori one in particular, that was the first one that I used the full expanded soundtrack. And it was very nice to do because the Omori original soundtrack just has so many tracks and so many different battle themes in particular that mm. uh, for I was able to have a unique theme for each dungeon and each boss. And I tried to make them somewhat related to each other where they occur in the story. Like for Eastern Palace, um, the dungeon theme that you hear is the regular enemy encounter theme of a particular area. And then the boss theme is a mini boss that is also found in the same area. Um, Mm. A lot of the tracks in that soundtrack relate to each other in a pretty easily discernible way. So it was also easy to make the 
uh, MSU um, have those tracks relate in a similar way. And then you also have a bunch of different biomes in A Link to the Past Dungeons, like Swamp Palace yeah. and Ice Palace and Palace of Darkness are all areas that have specific, like, I don't know what to say, markers. Yeah, like, de- like, yeah. De- like, like qualities des- to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like Desert Palace. It's another biome. So, um, yeah. oftentimes, especially in Nintendo games, you can find areas that are deserts or our icy areas or our forests that the lava level right <laughs> the ice level yeah totally you yeah. can you can make pretty obvious uh pairs there um mm-hmm. the other the other thing that i would say is especially with the overworld themes and if you do not use the expanded feature for the dungeons keep in mind that you're going to be hearing the overworld themes a lot so yeah. make sure that whatever you decide to put there is a song or a track that you don't mind listening to over and over. Maybe choose something that's a little bit longer for those areas. So that way uh, it won't repeat as frequently and you won't get as tired of it. Yeah, yeah honestly, um, I was really excited about, you know, the, the fact that they implemented the MSU continuation uh, with rando recent, like semi recently, I guess, um, mainly because like in final fantasy 10, I've got like besaid Island as the opening, uh, or the overworld theme. And it, you know, if you're playing entrance, this is where it gets really bad because it starts out with just a couple of chords. Like it's kind of quiet. Um, and you just hear those chords over and over if you're just going in and out of entrances, but with the continuation, you get to kind of hear the whole song. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Mm. Mm-hmm. That seems hugely uh, helpful to have that feature. Yeah. 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 It's very okay. handy. Um, when I did the, the Danganronpa two MSU pack, I chose the song beautiful ruin for uh Hyrule field. But the problem with of this, course. the problem per- with perfect, this track is match. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that track, though, is that Beautiful Ruin starts off with about, I want to say, 35 to 40 seconds of a very quiet atmospheric texture. Yeah. So if you're going in Hyrule Field and just like using it to quickly traverse from one area to another, then you're not going to be hearing it for much more than that initial buildup. So what I did at the time was I changed i adjusted the start time to beautiful ruin so it happened after the 40 seconds so you would jump right into the main theme right away but now with the msu resume feature uh that concern isn't really necessary anymore so uh it's nice (laughs) well this seems like a perfect transition into talking a little bit about uh setting loop points which is um, according to the uh, uh, notes that we have here, at least kind of the next step after you've kind of decided what track goes where. So tell us a little bit about how uh, how you know w- what happens next. Sure. So once you've picked your tracks, uh, it is important to get them to loop correctly in a link to the past so that when you do get to the end of the track, if you do get to the end of the track, then it'll start over from the beginning or from a midpoint. And that transition will happen seamlessly. Creating loop points is often the most time consuming part of making an MSU. And it's also the most recognizable if it uh, 
goes badly. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's yeah. important to get that step right. Because mm. you would hear, uh, you know, if, if you're not very precise with where you cut it, it could sound like a stutter where the beat is not quite right for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see how that would be very distracting, especially to someone like me who's very sensitive to, to that sort of stuff. Um, So uh, you mentioned that this happens in a, a DAW or digital audio workstation. Yes. What do you like to use? Uh, I personally use Reaper for stuff like this. Um, mm-hmm. but any doll will work. Most people use audacity just because that one is free and, uh, easily available. Uh, Reaper is, I think 60 for a licensed version. You can also use Reaper unlicensed as like a trial and evaluation, and it'll kind of let you do that indefinitely as long as you don't mind just like waiting a bit for it to boot up. So, yeah, what is what exactly is the process here? Because I, I understand as a as a musician, the idea of finding a loop point, but I definitely don't understand how you create that in an MSU pack. Sure. So the DAW will let you look at the actual sound waveforms of the track. So once you have the waveform and you're looking at it in a DAW, then first you have to figure out what is the part of the song that you want to have loop and where it should repeat. This is usually where it happens in the original track. Uh, and then once you know approximately where you're looking, what you do is find what's called a zero crossing. A zero crossing is when the waveform intersects with zero. The way waveforms work it alternates very quickly between positive and negative, and there's a zero in the middle. You want all of your loops to happen at where it's zero, because if it doesn't do that, then it will create a pop or a clicking effect, and that will be very uh, noticeable. Noticeable, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. Um- but the good thing is there's there's uh, like thousands of these every second. Right. So how, how do you like determine exactly which one you want? When you're finding zero crossings, both Reaper and Audacity have shortcut commands that will let you. It'll take where your playhead is in the DAW and then move from there to whatever the closest zero crossing is. So. Mm-hmm. Once you once you have your spots, then what I do in Reaper is I find the two places where the zero crossings are that approximately correspond with where I want the track to loop. Then I play it through a couple times, make sure that everything sounds fine, make sure that it's not like weird at the transition. Sometimes what I do is I um, let someone else hear it and I don't tell them where the loop point is and see if they can figure it out. If they can't figure it out, then uh, that lets me know that I'm doing my job right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So once you've like determined, you know, where you want your where you want it to loop, you're you're then taking um, that information and then plugging it into like a file. How, How exactly does that work? Okay. so once you have all of your all of your tracks and all of your loop points, Then Mm -hmm. from there, the next step is to take this information and plug it into a script 
that will be read by the program MSU PCM, and that will uh, generate the PCM files that the A Link to the Past ROM will read. So gotcha. uh, once you have the loop points, you have to identify where specifically they are. This means that you're going to have to use samples rather than seconds as the measure of time. So mm. what I do, I organize everything in Excel and I have sp specific columns for when the track should start, when a loop point should be and when the loop point should end. So if you're measuring it in samples, most of the time you're going to be working with uh, tracks that run at 44,100 samples per second. So oftentimes these numbers will get very big and that is perfectly okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to look like a telephone number or something like that or a serial number. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you've created this uh, JSON file, right? Or have we not made it that far yet? Yep. Uh, okay. The script that you the script that you input is a JSON file. That is a JSON file. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you make a JSON file that has all of the tracks. You can specify information about what it's called. Uh, you can specify when to start it. Sometimes, sometimes uh, the original soundtracks that you get to tracks will have a little bit of a pause at the beginning or at the end of a track. So you can avoid this pause if you just tell the track to start uh, after the pause is already over. Um, then you choose one place for your beginning loop point. That'll be where the track will return once it gets to the end. And you choose a place for the end loop point, which is where the track should cut off before uh, the loop happens. So all of this information gets notated in a JSON file. And then you run the JSON through file through MSU PCM. And what that does is it generates PC. Uh, it converts your track from the wave or MP3 or whatever format the original soundtrack was in to a PCM file and the PCM files are what is read by uh, the games. Okay. All right. So the, I'm curious about the size of these PCM files. Cause I know from what we said before that you get four gigs to work with for your um, audio. So is there ever a fear of, um, you know, running out of space if, if like say maybe your tracks are too long or something like that? Uh, Nah, usually not. <laughs> four, yeah. four, gigs, four gigs is a lot to work with. <laughs> I, I think my largest okay. one temp was like, uh -huh. uh, like right over a gig. And that's with me using every single available track. Um, oh, wow. Like, it's like when I say every single, I mean, like every, like I think there's what, 59 or 60 something. Um it's so either, normally it's like 31, but then what you're referring to is, the, is expansion. the expansion that lets you use original tracks for every dungeon and every boss fight. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that, yeah. So it ends up being around like, you know, how many, like 50 something. Yeah. It's either, it's either like 59 or 62. I'm having trouble remembering exactly okay. uh, the number. It, it's, it's a ridiculously high number and it's really good. And you've no, you've never come close to it. 
not not with so four gigs. Not really no. a concern. Like if cool. you do, I feel like you know, and this isn't like a shade on anybody. If you have, um, you probably have your tracks too big, in, in my yeah. opinion, because I mean, I guess if, if we were playing a game where you're exploring the overworld for like. 20 minutes maybe you want the the soundtrack to be longer but you know even in casual play i don't really see someone uh exploring you know the link to the past overworld continually that long if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely um oh another thing i wanted to mention kind of based on that is that uh you know there is Obviously, like Danny said, you know, your overworld tracks, you'll be hearing quite a bit of those dungeon tracks, especially if you just have one crystal and one pendant, you know, the way the original game works, you'll be hearing those quite a bit. Um, But there are probably like 10 to 15 tracks that are like 10 seconds or less long. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're essentially like musical yeah. stings for like the ends of cutscenes and things like that. So um, that you end up having like kind of a lot of. Well, actually, I, I guess I'd like to ask our guests, like, how how do you handle that when you're creating an MSU pack? Are you trying to find really short tracks from your source or do you sometimes like shorten parts of longer songs to make these happen? Yeah, sometimes you have to get a bit creative uh, when you're handling those little stingers, particularly for the uh, track number eight, which is the mirror sound effect. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've seen people use fanfares from the game that they're covering for that track. I've seen other people uh, take a longer form of a track and add a fade at the end that cuts off uh, as the mirror transition ends. Uh, Mm -hmm. What I did in particular with the Omori track that I liked is I chose a particularly impactful, uh, very dark track and just use a small portion of it that ends with a single note on a piano and that note corresponds with the end of when the mirror transition occurs hmm. interesting yeah so what i so what the the creative thing that i had to do there was adjust the beginning of that track to make sure that it lined up correctly because the beginning was just this uh, very dark sound effect uh, area. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It seems like I, I always like whenever I see or hear an MSU and they've found some sort of like warp or portal, like some kind of like soundtrack or song that kind of relates to that um, to make it work. But as you said, I think the, the most creative part of creating an MSU pack is doing that matching of what song is going to play where, how am I going to loop this? Um, so, you know, that's, that's like the fun of it is figuring out is solving problems like this. It's like, what do I use for this little stinger that plays after you beat Aga two, that's only like four seconds long, you know, and how am I going to make it work with the rest of the soundtrack that I've already built up, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's fun. Yeah. And this would probably be a good time to mention as well that when you're making the JSON file, you have a certain number of extra commands that are available that you can help make the process a bit smoother. One of which, as I mentioned, is the ability to add a fade, fade in or fade out to tracks. Another one that's very useful is normalization. 
normalization basically it takes whatever the highest peak is in a track and it makes you can adjust that level so that it peaks at a lower volume. This is very handy to make sure that your tracks will play around the same volume level in relation to each other. And it's also handy to make sure that your tracks will play uh, quieter than the sound effects that the runners will need to hear. Mm. Yeah, definitely seems important to balance your volumes from track to track, especially if you're making a soundtrack where you're not getting all your source material from the same place per se. Yeah. You could have to balance out to make sure that all your volumes are, are consistent and you don't want to blow somebody's eardrums out. Kind of, you know, you, what Danny was saying, you want to make sure with hearing the sound effects of the game, like prime example in competitive ALTTPR dark rooms, you know, a lot of times we are very reliant, not only the sword glow, but the sound, maybe like the sword tink or hearing a key door unlock uh, and I mean, I'll, I'll admit uh, there's been multiple packs, including my own that I had to go adjust <laughs> where it was too loud. And I'm like, am I, am I getting through the door? Like, uh, where am I at? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know where I was. And I thought if this is a problem for me, it's definitely going to be a problem for somebody else. So, uh, you know, with, with, with it being my own, I can adjust it. Other ones, it's kind of like, well, I guess can't really use this pack anymore, you know, in a race, at least, you know, casual play is, you know, obviously do what you want. If you want to make it obnoxiously loud. <laughs> go for it <laughs> yeah so speaking of uh, adjusting your own levels after doing a little bit of playing let's talk more about testing so um what 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 else is required to get this to get the you know all of the files uh to a point where you can actually test them uh so you have all the loop points created you've run you've made a json script you've run json script through the program that generates the pcm files and uh, uh, from there, you have to make a .msu file. The thing that signals to a link to the past that, hey, there's an MSU available and you should use this as a soundtrack is the presence of a .msu file, which can literally be anything. You can just make a blank text file, change the extension so that's .msu instead of .txt, and then... Just make sure that that is in the same folder that the game is reading and it will uh, make the MSU magic happen. So when you've done all of these steps and are looking to test your pack, there is a very handy preset that Sahasrabot has, which is specific to MSU testing. I forget exactly what that preset is called, but what it does is it gives you all of the items and starts you from Link's house. So you'll be able to hear the beginning of game music. Uh, You can go to any of the dungeons in order to hear any of the dungeon music. And it has all but one of the pendants already collected, as well as I believe all but one of the crystals already collected. Mm. So that way you can get the pendant, you can hear the boss... Boss clear fanfare music. You can pull the master sword and hear whatever music you've decided for the master sword pedestal. Uh, you can get caught by a guard if you want to make sure that you hear the Kakariko guard mm. music. Um, it and and like you have all the items and you start with boots, so it makes it it makes the process of actually going to the areas of the game that you need to go to to make sure that the tracks are working much more quick and convenient. 
So that is extremely helpful. Another tool that I personally have that is very helpful is I have an extension for uh, Fubar, the music player. Um, I have an additional like extension pack with that that allows it to play PCM files. So I can just play the PCM file with Fubar, go to where, go to the end of the track and listen to myself and hear if it's looping correctly. Some things that you specifically should look for when you are testing your track. Uh, number one, make sure that you don't hear any clicks, because if you hear clicks, then that means that your loop points aren't at zero crossings. So mm. uh, you can work you can work those out. Sometimes like you have to go through and ch check for clicks once you generate the PCM files because you are converting them. Even if you don't hear clicks when you make the initial waveforms, it's still important to make sure you go through and listen to all the PCM files themselves because the process of converting it, especially if you apply volume effects such as normalization, can add additional clicks and pops. Hmm. Um, yeah, like one thing I usually do with that, like I have the same FUBAR plugin um, and I'm sure everyone has their own method, but you know, with listening to it through FUBAR, uh, I'll kind of, if it's a longer track, I'll put it near the end, but I don't want to be able to know exactly where it loops. Uh, you know, like you don't want to know what's happening. Otherwise you're expecting it, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to kind of have an idea because you're the one who picked the loop point, obviously. But like, I'll just like, I'll start it. I'll just kind of close my eyes and just kind of try to keep the beat with like, you know, tapping on my desk or like whatever and see if everything sounds good. And if I can't feel you know like a pop i don't hear the pop i don't feel something get off like i feel like that's probably you know a, a decent loop point like if i'm not if i'm looking for it and i don't detect it then hopefully you know the end user like that didn't create it is gonna they're not gonna notice where the loop point is exactly mm -hmm. and that's that's often why uh it's useful to have other people test your MSU packs because they won't have the bias from having created it themselves. In the A Link to the Past Randomizer main Discord, there is a channel specifically for MSUs. And oftentimes when people make submissions of packs, then they will say, hey, I have a pack that's available for testing. Would anyone be able to test this? And chances are uh, people will do that. So it's very helpful to have the additional set of ears that are not your own, just so uh, you avoid your own biases. Oh, yeah, for I, sure. I run into that problem with my composing work, too. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it's so helpful to have people listen to, you know, because like you get so used to it, you almost kind of get uh, deaf to certain things. You know, you just kind of excuse them and. Um, it's not until you let someone else hear it and they're like, hey, what's up with this? And you're like, oh, yeah, I was going to fix that. And I kind of forgot and didn't really think it was a big deal anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. The, um, the other thing to test for, as, a, as we already mentioned, make sure that you can hear the sound effects and that the music doesn't completely overshadow them because people rely on the shadow sound effects. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the uh, ALTTP randomizer MSU one packs uh, sheet, which we will have a link to in the description. Um, I've noticed just upon looking at this as a casual observer, it, it looks absolutely chaotic. Uh, so can you help us kind of try to uh, sort out, you know, what's what's going on here and what's you know, what's safe to use and what's still being tested and all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, so. 
I think that this uh, sheet, it has been in use for some long amount of time. And maybe mm-hmm. there are things in organization wise that made sense back when it was created that uh, have kind of been blown up now. But it is a directory of all of the uh, publicly available MSU packs that people have created. Um, it's sorted for the most part by when the pack was approved and uploaded. So as a result, if you're trying to look for a specific game or look alphabetically, it can be a little bit intimidating to try to uh, yeah, add a filter yeah. for that. Um, yeah, I, just, I don't want people to get discouraged because it, it looks like crazy, but... Uh, I mean, you can pretty much go through and pick just about anyone you want and, and give it a try. It's, even these ones that say they're untested, uh, they have been tested. Just no one's keeping up with the sheet, right? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. Every every so often you see people just like move a whole bunch of things from the submission queue to accepted submissions all at the same time. And Yeah. Like chances are chances are that if it exists somewhere on this sheet, then it's probably good or mostly good. Yeah, that's the main thing I wanted to get across is because if you look at the bottom tabs and this gets us all the time, honestly, on this show, looking at, uh, you know, Google Sheets spreadsheets, it starts you on accepted submissions. Um, even though a lot of them say untested, these have actually gone through some sort of process and have been approved to be here. And then when you go down to other tabs, you see there's a submission queue, one for testing feedback um, and all of that good stuff. And I can't speak to how up to date those are, but all of these uh, that show up here on accepted submissions, they're going to have a certain degree of quality that is worth checking out. I just wanted to kind of throw that out there so people don't get scared by the uh, untested that they see over there to the right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It also the sheet does a good job of distinguishing which uh, MSUs are available for free and which require some. uh, The original soundtrack, which is usually paid. Yeah, so tell us how that works, because I'm definitely curious, you know, a lot creating a lot of these MSU packs, you're usually using a soundtrack from another game and distributing that, as we know, you know, from kind of similar conversations in our community could be a little dicey. So how how is that handled in the MSU, you know, trading world? Yeah, I think that pack creators are pretty sensitive to that. Uh, for speaking, speaking of myself and experiences that I know from the video game industry and from other people that I know in the video game industry, a lot of indie composers in particular um, are very reliant on soundtrack sales and will very publicly offer their soundtracks and you can get them and the money will go to the actual person who is making the pack. So um, if the track, if the MSU requires the original soundtrack and album, then chances are it's because the original composer gets money from the soundtrack or album from, from its sales. Uh, same thing for, um, certain remixers. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. I know that Um, someone made, oh, go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say one good example is, uh, the Samus and chill pack on the spreadsheet. So if you, if you download that, 
It comes with just a few files. It only it comes with a folder. Um, and then it comes with, uh, the MSU PCM EXE, which is what you're going to use to do the conversion, a readme file, which will explain how it works. Uh, the MSU file that you, uh, Danny was talking about earlier and then your tracks.json. So what's going to happen is that tracks.json, you know, when you buy these, you would buy the album, which the, the thing comes with a link to where you would go to buy the game chops album in this case. Um, uh, shout outs to Chimo for making this pack. Uh, and then after you, uh, you know, get the files, you put them in a specific folder, uh, inside this folder, like, uh, inside the, the Samus and chill folder, there's like a folder for the music files. And then, uh, you know, the readme can explain it a little more like, cause it's, it varies pack to pack, but this, this is kind of the general idea. Um, and then at that point you would drag that tracks file that tracks.json onto the msu pcm.exe file to like execute the program and then it's going to just do all the conversion from your legally purchased music to create your own pcm files to throw on you know your directory for your msus and on your emulator or your sd card for your sd to snes or fx pack hmm I see. Yep. So it's basically it gives you the instructions and does the work behind the scenes to make it into the MSU soundtrack that we can use with randomizer without actually giving you the music for free. Right. Yep, that, that's that exactly way, right. That way the artist is compensated for their work uh, and all of the hard part is already done for you. The hard part being the composer who wrote the music and then finding the loop points and picking out which tracks go where. Um, you know, again, you can customize that by renaming files, but when you create them, you're good to go after that. Awesome. Okay. So we've talked a good amount about how to create these MSU files, and I hope that's uh, interesting and or helpful or hopefully both to uh, some folks out there. But I think probably what's a little bit more uh, widespread kind of helpful is if we get folks you know, started on how to actually download some of these MSU packs and start using them in the seeds that they're playing, you know, and especially looking, especially at more casual players that maybe have been have kind of thought this was too much to mess with and, and have, that's why they haven't tried any of these yet. So um, let's talk about how to utilize MSU packs as a player. Um, so I would have to imagine a, a really good place to start is this Excel spreadsheet uh, that we've been looking at, this Google Sheets file that has a lot of them available for download. Would you say, Danny, that's probably the best place to start with this? Yeah. So once you find an MSU pack of a game or an artist that you're interested in having the music for, um, the MSU packs list will have a download link. So you go to the download link, you have... Um, either the PCM files themselves or a way to generate the PCM files themselves. Once you have all the PCM files, then usually the process is pretty simple from there. Um, it depends slightly on what emulator you're running, but for most people, if you're using SNES 9X, then all that you have to do is make a folder that has all of your PCM files and a .msu file inside it. And when you generate a ROM from alttbr.com, then you just put it in the same folder and you name it the same thing as that the MSU is called. So for example, I'm just gonna pull one up at random. 
Uh, the Wind Waker MSU pack. There is a www.msu file that is in the folder. So then whenever I generate a game, I take whatever the game is and I rename it to www.sfc. And then when I play the game in that folder, it'll recognize that there is an MSU to go with it and it'll play music from the Wind Waker. Yeah. So file organization is the most important thing. Naming the file that you've downloaded to the correct name of your MSU pack and then putting it into the folder of the MSU pack um, and the the exact way that you name it and where the folder is and all that. That's that's kind of the important thing to uh, to making this work is the file organization behind it. Mm hmm. If, yeah. And if it's you, really not so bad. Yeah. If you if you play with other emulators, uh, the process is slightly different. But for the most part, like you are going to be renaming files such that they match. So uh, if you want to play a link to the past randomizer on like a retro pie or on a flashcard or something, then you might have to do a couple of extra steps. but. For the most part, as long as you have your files and as long as they're organized and have the same titles, then it's very simple and straightforward to set up. Yeah. And uh, we did um, highlight a program uh, not too long ago that I wanted to mention again. This is Kasten's MSU launcher program, uh, and I'll put a link in the description to the GitHub. But just a little, um, you know, simple program that he whipped up. And what this does is kind of automate the process of you know, you you tell it, you know, where you download your uh, your ROM files, and then you tell it where you keep your MSU file, and it kind of does the work of saving it and changing the name and running it. I think it also even opens Live Split for you. Um, so just kind of a little quality of life program that I wanted to shout out um, that can be really helpful, especially if you want to try a lot of different MSU packs. It kind of helps you organize all of the different locations where you have them saved and let you switch between them between them easily. Um, do you guys have any other uh, tips in terms of organizing your files and kind of kind of helping to make it a little easier to swap these out? Because I feel like uh, the switching between them can maybe uh, intimidate people. So do you have any tips to kind of help with that? I mean, um, I just keep my MSU packs in different folders. And then once you decide which one you want to play with this time, you're just going to save it into the right folder and rename it accordingly. Not really any more complicated with one or with 10. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, on my SD card for my FX pack, I just, uh, you know, I have a folder just says MSUs. And then inside that I have a bunch of folders for every pack I've downloaded. And then, uh, you know, I just pick which folder I'm going to go in and rename the file. Uh, you know, it just, you just basically have to, it, it's a small set of dotting your I's and crossing your T's as we say, sometimes it's kind of like one of those sayings, you know, just don't, don't be, you know, <laughs> don't, don't go too fast. Don't be sloppy. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. be sloppy. And uh, that's a better way of putting can, it. <laughs> one thing that can trip people up is if you've used an MSU pack and then you want to use it again, you have to get rid of the one that you played before. Right. And so that you could rename the new one. Yeah. It's, I mean, yep. it's just delete, delete the ROM. You're probably never playing that one again, just because <laughs> I mean, let's be real. I mean, no one, I don't think most people go back and play one. They just played, uh, you know, maybe way down the line or something, but 
you know, the permalinks always are out there for if you need to go retrieve something, but uh, it's just a matter of, you know, delete the old file, put the new one in, rename it. And then for me, pop in your SD card and then you're good to go. Mm -hmm. I I would say I would recommend actually deleting or actually moving whatever the old one is rather than overwriting. I have seen situations before where uh, people have loaded up the wrong seed because uh, they messed something up in the overwriting process. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, that sounds like a bad situation. the The way I do it, in uh, I mean, uh, we're, we're I'll go through this like super fast. Is just I get the file and it's the default name from the web page. I throw it in the folder I want it to be in, and then I just go look at the naming con- the file naming convention, delete the old one, and before I do it, I usually just kind of copy. Like I'll select the Mm. file name and copy it and then i'll delete the other one paste that file name into the other one and then i'm done yeah all right so there is one particular uh msu pack that if you haven't tried this process before i would recommend maybe starting with this one because it's it's pretty significant so um this is in relation to the uh project that we wanted to have danny on to talk about this is it's i'm kind of trying to i'm trying to find the words to sort of qualify it because i do feel it's a significant event um it's the first uh album created with the intent of becoming an msu for a link to the past randomizer danny does that sound about right yeah that's right Yeah, so pretty incredible. This this is music that was created specifically to be used as, as an MSU pack. Uh, but fortunately, um, you know, for those who maybe don't don't want to check out the MSU pack or you, uh, you know, like to use the original music or whatever the case may be, um, there will also be an album version of this. So this is a new project that Danny has been working on uh, that just released on November 21st, just a few days ago, called A Link to the Brass. So, uh, Danny, tell us a little bit about what A Link to the Brass is. Yeah, so I am part of a group called The Game Brass, which is a brass ensemble consisting of two trumpets, a horn, a trombone and a tuba player. We've since added a second horn. Uh, We are all professionals who work in the recording and the video game industry, and we have now released six albums together, the latest of which is A Link to the Brass, which came out on A Link to the Past's 30th anniversary. So what this is, is a complete recreation of the original Link to the Past soundtrack, all performed with live brass and live percussion instruments and this was made with the intent that we would make it into an msu so that you can play with our version of the soundtrack our actual performances in the game a link to the past itself uh in order to facilitate this we were extremely exact with our transcriptions and with our timings especially Uh, We use the game's actual audio data to get the specific timings, get all the specific notes. We rearrange them with our instrumentation in mind to make sure that there was nothing that was too unplayable. Uh, And yeah, we recorded them to a high standard and are releasing it as an MSU. 
What's interesting with this is you can get the MSU pack directly from Bandcamp itself. We have a lot of thanks to Bandcamp, actually, for making this possible. They gave us special permission to upload uh, the files that are involved in the MSU creation process. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, nice. That's cool. Um, That's very cool that they did it, that they let you do that. I assume they would just have to be like, you know, the album, which is just all the tracks, you know, front to back there and then you just say hey you know if you're interested go to our website to download you know the msu file or go to you know the the excel sheet you know we were talking about before but you can just get all of it straight from bandcamp yep it's all bundled in as an add-on that you get uh for free whenever you download the uh the album itself digital download Super cool. So, yeah, I we've had a chance to listen. Um, Danny was nice enough to kind of provide us with a, a version um, since technically we're recording this on the day it comes out and we wanted to listen to it before then. Um, but I uh, yeah, as people who listen to this podcast know, because I usually mention it on a pretty regular basis, but I'm a musician as well. I'm a percussionist and I have a, a degree in music composition and I love video game music. So I listen to a lot of video game music covers and I have to say every single track on this album is just absolutely immaculate in terms of the playing uh the recording the way it was all mixed and as danny said it's an extremely faithful transcription uh in terms of the notes you know a lot of times with video game uh, arrangements you know they could be super high quality but then the person who arranged them maybe sort of missed the quality of a chord or they got one little note in a melody wrong. And for, for people like me, it kind of takes me out of it. Uh, and because, you know, the original uh, data, you know, the original soundtracks were used to create these transcriptions. There is none of that. It's extremely faithful. It lines up perfectly. And um, it's just a real treat to hear like, you know, real trumpets, real trombone, uh, the horn melodies and things like that. Um, it sounds absolutely great. Thank you so much. I'm really glad you enjoy it. We took a lot yeah, of effort yes. to try to make it as exact as we could. And it, there were, it, it made a couple interesting challenges when we were doing the recording process as well, because uh, like when we were generating the loops, for example, in order to make a brass recording sound authentic, there needs to be some sort of reverb that's attached that's attached to it. And this is the Game Brass's sixth album together. We've kind of developed our own way that we record the music so that we're all using similar microphones, similar mic setups and similar uh, room ambiances. And then we apply the same effects to our recordings to make it sound as if we're legitimately playing in the same room together, that there isn't anything that's super out of place or an instrument that's recorded too close, whereas others are too far away. Uh, example. Yeah. Um, but because of that, it made the actual loop process, loop making process interesting. Uh, you get a little bit of a tail from the reverb at the end yeah. of tracks. So, um, a lot of the loops were not in the same places that you would expect them to be in the original game. Oh, so there's a little bit of a trickery going on there. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, that, that makes, cool. that makes a lot of sense, but I'm actually, I'm super yeah. impressed. Like, cause I, I listened through this. I haven't used the, the MSU yet, but I mean, I listened through this and, um, I thought you guys did a fantastic job. I was under the assumption this was like recorded with like all of you guys in the studio together. And the fact that, mm. uh, you were not, uh, at least that's what I'm gathering from what you just said is actually 
pretty amazing uh, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're all in different areas right now, spread throughout two countries, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. How did you guys get started as a group? Uh, so it was me and Robbie Duguay who co-founded it. We had met each other together at a convention called MAGFest. And mm. oh, MAGFest. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great time. Uh you could so MAGFest, what's cool about it is you can bring your instrument and just like play along with people and it's focused around video games and music. So people are just covering video game music. And it's really cool to have like this built-in audience of people who like the same sorts of things that you're into. So um I was playing around a little bit at MAGFest, and then uh I met Robbie there. He was talking, Robbie was mostly a guitar player. Guitar is his, actually his main instrument. But at the time he was like, oh, I play a little bit of trumpet. I used to play back in the day. Um, so then so then we were talking a little while and one thing led to another. And I ended up giving Robbie, who I had just met like earlier that week, I gave him a ride to the airport and we were talking a bit more. And that was when the idea for the game brass came about. And then we found the other musicians who were other people that we had collabed with through another organization. And uh, ever since then, we got to produce six albums together in the span of a couple of years. So, <laughs> wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. To, to stick together and then actually, you know, see an album through and not only that, but then to, to put six together, it's no small feat, you know, in this day and age. So that's, that's really incredible. Um, yeah. And, uh, the, again, like, you know, the arrangement is, is also so impressive because the original link to the past, uh, you know, a soundtrack is, you know, even though it's 16 bit, it does a really good job of kind of making you think of a whole entire orchestra. You know, there's flute, there's strings, there's, you know, timpani, stuff like that. So um, one of the things that I really loved was the creativity in, you know, OK, this is originally a harp part in the, you know, in the original soundtrack. How are we going to recreate that with, you know, five or maybe six charitably brass members and a little bit of percussion? And uh, there were some really creative solves for some of the transcription problems um, that I just I was you know really enjoyed. Um, so just yeah, just really good stuff. And uh, I want to, again, you know, encourage folks to go out and check uh, check this album out, especially if you can check it out as an MSU. I think that would be really, really fun. In fact, uh, there's another link that we're going to have to put in the description because it's actually happening today as we record this. Uh, but Danny, do you want to tell them a little bit about the uh, kind of release event that you guys are? are going to be uh, doing later today? Sure. So usually when we do a release event uh, on our YouTube, we play through the album. And we talk a little bit about the tracks behind the scenes. But for this album, since it's the game, I'm just going to play the A Link to the Past NMG speedrun uh, straight through, pausing a little bit uh, so that everyone can hear the music and the other members of the game rest will be on a call with me. And we're talking uh through our version of the soundtrack, through some of the challenges that we encountered and about a link to the past in general. So it's a super good time. And by the time you hear this podcast, it will have already happened and you'll be able to check that out at the Game Brass YouTube channel. Yep, absolutely. We'll have the link in the description of the episode. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to pretty much wrap up our conversation on MSUs. Again, everyone definitely go check out uh, Links to the Brass by the Game Brass. We'll have all the links in the description. Anyone have any other final thoughts on MSUs or anything else before we wrap up our show? I'm expecting every listener to make their own MSU pack now. Like, I expect that sheet. That sheet is going to be popping. I am. I am ready for it. Like, honestly, understanding. Like, I say that jokingly, but seriously, like, just understanding. Okay, this is like the basics. And, and Moogle Charm, like I said in the past, was kind enough to kind of walk me through it in a voice call one time. You know, to get the basics down. That was that was the biggest hurdle for me uh, personally. So hopefully, you know, hopefully, Danny's. Uh, words of wisdom here are going to be useful for some of you guys and we can get some some more uh variety of music uh to listen to up there yeah absolutely and my dms are always open so if you have any specific questions related to the msu creation process um i'm on the link to the past randomizer discord feel free to uh hit me up there a uh, quick shout out to Quirty Moto, um, who wrote an MSU one getting started guide. That's the one linked in the main ALTTPR discord as a good place to get started. We'll also put a link to that in our description as well. Uh, okay. And then I guess that is about it. So let's go ahead and wrap this show up. All right. So another special thank you to Matt 7898, who we heard from earlier in the episode and another huge shout out to Danny Music. Thank you so much for joining us, Danny. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me so much. It's a huge pleasure. So uh, one more time, uh, if you could plug, um, you know, where people can find Link to the Brass. And also, if you have anything else, I know you have like your own YouTube channel. If you want to plug all of that, this is a perfect time. Sure. So. A link to the brass is available at thegamebrass.com or thegamebrass.bandcamp.com. Uh, it's also on the MSU sheet directory, so you can find the album and get the MSU that way. Uh, if you like the sorts of stuff that the Game Brass does, uh, check out our other albums as well. Earlier this year for Zelda's 25th anniversary we released an album called Horns of Hyrule, which is all scored for 16-piece brass ensemble. And I personally was the one who did the arrangements to that one. They're much more done in a symphonic style and not uh, particularly as close and faithful as A Link to the Past is. So if you're interested in hearing a more creative symphonic take, uh, I recommend that one as well. And as for my personal stuff, I'm Danny Music on YouTube. It's Danny Music on Twitter and Danny Music without the it's on Twitch. Perfect. Cool. OK, um, as far as uh, we're concerned, we this has been Go Mode Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, my name is Timp and you can follow me at twitch.tv slash Timp underscore um, my shout out this time is just going to be since I feel like I gloss over this a lot and it's totally relevant to this episode. I just wanted to say one other one more time, I guess, that I am creating my own MSU pack. Um, it's going to be called Timp.MSU. I'm in the uh, process of writing a lot of the tracks right now, especially all the like shorter stings and things like that. So I've been working on those shorter tracks and my goal 
My goal is to release it at the end of this year. Um, you will definitely hear about it on this podcast if and when that happens. So just keep listening. If you're curious about that at all, um, you know, feel free to ask in the Discord or shoot me a DM. But um, in an effort to continue to hold myself accountable, I did just want to mention that uh, one more time here on the show. Um, also because it's relevant. Uh, Dante, where can people watch you play the game of Link to the Past Randomizer? And also, is there anything that you'd like to shout out? Uh, Twitch.tv slash Dante. Um, and uh, I, I've, I actually played a game that wasn't rando. I played, I finally played Dread. I'm not really talking about it. Don't want to spoil nothing like Herf didn't want to either, but uh, <laughs> I did thoroughly enjoy the game. Was really good. Would recommend uh, add it to your Christmas list if you uh, haven't already or just go buy it. It's really fun. Herf, what about you, my friend? Uh, you can find me maybe at twitch.tv slash Uh I think I haven't streamed in like half a year at this point. I don't remember, but uh, I, I promise I'll be on again at some point. Um, my shout out this week. I guess my shout out this week has to go to uh, Shin Megami Tensei 5 and specifically Mara. Shout out to Mara. Um, I've been playing that a lot since it came out on the 12th. It's amazing. It also has really good music fitting with this episode. Uh, it's extremely hard. It's I've uh, watched a couple YouTube reviews from like Shin Megami Tensei YouTubers that I sort of follow, and they're all pretty much in agreement that it's quite possibly the hardest mainline game that's been released so far. But it's still a ton of fun. And if you have any interest uh, interest in the series, I would definitely recommend it. Good stuff. Um, Danny, do you have anything else? You know, a lot of times at the end of the show, we'll share a shout out and it's not always necessarily related to a link to the past randomizer or anything else we've been talking about. Is there anything else you've just kind of like been into that you want to share? Ooh, yeah. Um, shout outs to the video game inscription. If you Ooh, like roguelike good. deck board builders among Slay the Spire, uh, this game. I'm not going to spoil while it's good, but you would like this game. <laughs> I think that was my shout out last episode, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. There were two I've episodes a lot ago, of, maybe at this point, but yeah. I've heard a lot of really good uh, things about that game, like from multiple people. It is yeah. so good. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, that's going to take us to the end of another episode of Go Mode Podcast. Um, I forgot to do all our like shout outs, but you guys know them already. If you need to reach out to us, get in touch. There's all kinds of ways you can do that. If you want to show your support, we are on Patreon or you can leave a review on iTunes. That is super helpful. All right. So since this has been sort of a uh, musical episode, I'm terribly sorry, but I do have to do this. Let's go ahead and meet.